1: We love our
2: children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true.
3: Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light
2: and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you
1: can make a difference.
0: Thank you.
2: Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experience of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with cultures, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Warden's Watch, episode 121, best-selling, New York Times award-winning author, C.J. Box, with his all-new epic adventure that's going to be released February 27th, Three Inch Teeth. John and I sit down with C.J. and have another conversation uh, with him regarding his new book, And it's kind of a peek into, without giving away any secrets, a peek into the book and a great conversation between all three of us about wildlife, about interactions. Uh, I think if you listen to episode 118 with Roy Brown and when he talks about those investigations into grizzly bear encounters, when people had to uh, shoot grizzly bears and whether he had to determine whether it was justified or not, it's a great preview to what. This book does and what Joe Pickett has to deal with in this upcoming book. It's just one of those epic adventures that only Joe Pickett can get into. And if you're a big fan of Joe Pickett, you're going to really like this. Uh, You're going to listen to CJ talk about the research he did on this book and how he wants to get everything right. It's just a a great thing. Remember, when people want to hide from law enforcement, they go to the woods. When they want to hide evidence... Where else do you go to the woods? So these encounters that uh, C.J. writes about in these Joe Puckett novels are really happening. Maybe not to just one game warden, but collectively, it's happening to us all. We're having these encounters, we're coming upon murders, evidence, all kinds of stuff out in the wilderness, the rural areas where we patrol. So sit back, enjoy this little peek into the new upcoming Epic Adventure book to be released February 27th, 2024. And thank you, CJ, for all you do to promote Game Wardens and our mission out there. And we really appreciate you making a book that's entertaining and the general public can enjoy, and it kind of gives them a kind of a feeling what Game Wardens do. Thank you. Enjoy this one. Welcome back to the Warden's Watch podcast. And we are super excited again to have back number one New York Times best selling author CJ Box, game warden author of the Joe Pickett series. And we're going to be talking about his new book, Three Inch Teeth, which is <laughs> another epic adventure. And again, I was just saying this to these guys I'm fascinated being East Coast Warden uh, about. West Coast animals, so things that I don't know. So, I I did some research after reading your book and stuff like that. Measured my own bear skulls and stuff, CJ. But yeah, what you know, what inspires you to do the way you go and when when you do it? I mean, did something grab a hold of you and said, "Geez, let's uh, focus on a
1: a grizzly." Well, luckily, what didn't grab a hold of me was a grizzly <laughs> for sure. <laughs> no, I um anybody you know who lives in the Mountain West right now. Um, especially if if you hunt, which I do, uh, or even just, you know, get out into the wilderness. Grizzly bears have, uh, there've been more and more grizzly bear encounters just about every year over the last five to seven years. This past year, I've got to say there were probably fewer and I'm not sure whether it was weather conditions or what, but in previous years, um, there've been more attacks, more encounters as they call it. And what really fascinated me, um, as i kind of dug into it was that you know we all we've all heard the rules about uh you know going into grizzly bear country you know uh, the safety uh measures to take to take bear spray or firearms and that you know not to do dumb things like walk between a sow and her cubs and have food available those kind of things that might attract bears but what's happened not in every instance, but in, in, in an alarming number of instances, are attacks that would be considered almost unprovoked. Hunters, hikers, uh, literally being attacked by grizzly bears, and uh, no provocation could be found. And that's a pretty scary prospect mm-hmm. uh, to think that bears, some bears, literally are you know can hunt humans. And um, I spent a lot of time with uh, game and fish officers in Wyoming, a couple of them who were on what they call the predator attack team, the first responders when there's a bear attack. And um, in a couple of instances, it, it was really that unprovoked attacks, bears just charging out of trees toward elk hunters who knocked an elk down and didn't stop. It, and uh, later, I mean, I mean, we could go on and on with some of these stories, but in one instance, um, around Teton County, uh, a, a sow and her yearling cub killed an a elk hunting guide. The hunter escaped, but the next day when the predator attack team arrived by helicopter, the bears attacked the helicopter, and they had to kill them. And they, the, the life, uh, wildlife people tried to figure out, was there something wrong with these bears? Did they have brain tumors that made them so aggressive? And in the end, they could not find a reason for that unprovoked attack. So, I was fascinated by that. And there's more than one uh, instance of that in Wyoming, Montana, um, of, of bears uh, seemingly uh, losing their fear of, of humans and attacking. And uh, you know, when it's three hundred and fifty pound animal with three inch teeth, um, right. that that's a pretty
3: scary prospect. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, CJ. On that note. <clears throat> You're not far, you know, this is a work of fiction and great book, by the way, um, three inch teeth, lot going on in it. I, I don't want to give it all away yet, but um, from a standpoint of bear behavior in general, like we talked about before the show, beat up in northwest Montana, not far from you where you're at in Wyoming. This is a great right. occurrence. It's not rare. I've had family members that have been bluff charged and almost had to put a sow down that she might have had cubs or not. And there's like this weird, you know, 1% factor. We saw that in California, when I was a warden down there, we had to take black bears that had attacked scouts through their tents down in San Bernardino Mountains completely unprovoked. And it was just that weird one. Most bears won't do that, but these were deadly encounters. And then we are tasked with, as you know, as game wardens, having to go out and 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 neutralize those animals because we can't transplant and we can't take them anywhere else. They're going to be a problem. But getting to your book, when when I read about the PAT, the predator attack team, as you described it, Kind of struck a nerve in me because we formed up the marijuana enforcement team, a tactical unit in California to deal with the cartels and the environmental crimes, everything they would do. And I went, hey, this really makes sense, man. This really makes sense because, you know, the lone Joe Pickett game warden that's out there, which, you know, personifies every game warden that's out there by ourselves. If we have to deal with a grizzly attack in real time without a support unit, it's very dangerous. And I think in this book, man, you just captured that about how formidable these animals can be if they happen to be that, you know, small percentage that go that aggressive and and want to attack and kill. Mm
1: -hmm. Right. You know, um, along the same line, same kind of uh, one of the eeriest things I heard from uh, the head of the predator attack team about the uh, the bears that attacked the elk hunting guy killed him and then attacked their their helicopter when they arrived is that um, they cut the head off the female bear and, and 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 put it in the helicopter to take it down and have it analyzed. Mm. And they said it was most miserable helicopter ride because that bear was reeking of bear spray so badly that the pilot was at tears in his uh, eyes, yeah. meaning the bear <laughs> spray didn't work in this
3: instance, mm.
1: which right. is scary, too. Yeah,
3: yeah, we, we, we've seen that in Montana a lot, you know, everyone hiking Glacier Park, getting their bear spray, a lot of people don't want to be armed. And I'm not saying we have to always have a firearm. That's the only solution. But I know when we're in bear country, whether we're from an enforcement capacity or hunting or fishing or hiking or high lakes, and you know how deadly they can be in your neck of the woods. You know, it might be a good idea to have that right firearm in the oh crap moment where you don't have any other options and that bear spray isn't working. We find in Montana, honestly, and I don't know if you saw this in your research, but it's about a 50-50 that the spare spray even works. Sometimes less, depending on weather, humidity, wind direction, and all those kind of things. And Wayne and I know from using pepper spray as officers, that can go awry really quick, man. You hmm. can contaminate yourself. And if you're just like it, that pilot. Good luck. <laughs> you're just making yourself uh, kind of marinated for that for that big uh, that big boar of sow coming at you.
1: That, that's right. And there's always the one or two people every year in Yellowstone Park buy bear spray and then apply it like mosquito repellent on your skin <laughs> and, and end, yeah. end up in the clinic yeah so that's yeah. dangerous too yeah i remember
2: my first hike in alaska with friends there and they were like we we're going off to an old gold mine and the arsenal that they were carrying you know i was like are, are you guys serious you know and they're like mm-hmm. oh yeah we're serious and we have yeah. to see a brown bear on the next ridge over and i was like yeah, I can see why you're serious. But the, everywhere you go right. in the woods, there you, you carry a, a, a gun and a heavy gun to to try to stop that threat if it occurs. And when they hunt there, they they you know my buddy would harvest his blacktail so quickly. He's like, you're you're more worried about skinning that deer out, getting it in your pack, and your head's on a swivel the whole time because the bear hears that shot and that's the dinner bell coming. So he's like, exactly. you got to be pretty dang efficient to get these things and get those out and keep your eyes open for that bear. So he's like, it, it's a very stressful
1: situation. Right. And, and I think one thing um, I tried to, uh, you know, at least address somewhat in the book is something um, I heard from several of the, the Predator attack team and the, a guy named Dan Thompson, who's the, he's a PhD in Wyoming, but he's on the Predator attack team, but he's also, Uh, he's the supervisor of large carnivore Mm -hmm. encounters in Wyoming. And he was, he's really knowledgeable, really fun to talk to. And one of the issues he talked about bears, yes, but also, um, you know, I like to always kind of address some, you know, some of the ethical issues about wildlife management and just living in the West and the fact that every time, uh, they go after a problem bear or, try to move a bear what you're talking about uh they get pushed back from certain um factions and um like uh, activists who uh somewhat kind of what what's the word answer spies the bears mm. and um want to protect the bears under any, under any circumstances and cr- criticize the wildlife um, uh, enforcement officers for even dealing with them so that's another one of those things that it, it seems like common sense, but there's always that that other other point of view.
3: There, there really is, CJ, and that's a great point. And, and we see that with all the big deadly predators, right? Um, in California, it's the California mountain lion, um, where where I spent most of my career dealing with problem mountain lions, whether it was depredation issues with our cattle ranchers or pets and things like that on those you know those urban transition areas, or just a flat out public safety attack. And we had some attacks and you know, I, I had a, incident, a couple instances where I had to basically neutralize four cats throughout my career, and three of them were public safety cats. And that's in the San Jose Bay area, the Silicon Valley. So you can imagine the sentiment you're going to get from press oh, yeah. responses. And even our rural game wardens in, you know, parts of Wyoming on the fringes of towns, like where you're at, I see it with my Montana brothers up there, what they're dealing with, that sentiment toward the predator, like, how can you kill it? They're rare, they're endangered, you know, can't you just relocate it? And it's, I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir of the three of us, but there's that delicate balance in the conservation model where these predators, when protected to a certain point, get so abundant. Um, And now everything's kind of in jeopardy of going out of balance. And and it's a hard thing to convince people who, you know, have that sentiment, which we all love wildlife. We just see it through a different lens, knowing the management concept of it. But on the predator attack team, when you were researching that, I'd never heard of that before, and I n- know several Wyoming guys. We've just never discussed it. Have they had that team for a long time? And it seems like something a lot of states could benefit from that are having this problem. I know in California we have a mountain lion response team, but it's not as, I think, deliberate and and capable of going out really quickly and making that decision like with a grizzly bear where there's no other option. We're going to hunt this thing tactically because it's going to kill somebody else or potentially do that. Um very fascinating to hear about that and what your thoughts were on this becoming something other departments can benefit from as more and more people travel about the outdoors and run into predators.
1: Wow, that's a that's a great question and topic. I never have not given that a lot of thought. I know that the predator attack team is at least six years old right. um, because the first time I talked to a member of it um, was about then, and that that was uh, not long after that uh elk guide was killed and this guy was the first guy on the on the scene so they've been around i I would guess in wyoming maybe six or seven years um probably you know i I, i'm speculating but um simply in response to more fatal attacks than before that uh, that it's an organized way to assemble i mean it's like a swat team Hmm. i mean they're they um, some of them wear body armor. They have three oh eight semi automatic rifles. They drop by helicopter and they try to do it as quickly as possible before the bear gets away. Or mm-hmm. bear or you know, wolf or whatever it is, you know, whenever they I don't think they're called out very often, but when they are, it's usually a, a really grave situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: and I would imagine they've they've gotta be mobile, rather chopper, or whatever, because you guys don't have a lot of game wardens in Wyoming as a whole. You're not a large game warden state, nor are we in Montana compared to like my old state of California, where I did my career. But getting those guys together effectively, that's no easy feat. So they they put a lot of time and thought, I'm sure, into this team. And if it's six years old, it's relatively new to the problem that's morphing, it sounds like throughout not only your state, but other other states, including my home state as well. So it's a really interesting development. Not a lot of people are going to know about till they read your new book. Mm. And it's really cool that you, uh, you know, you went into that that world of, wow, this is a real thing, you know, and this this is something we really need to address. And it's going to create a lot of that discussion and controversy of, do you kill every bear that's a public safety threat? Do you try to rehab and relocate? Uh, really good stuff there. So it'll be interesting to see. Thank if- you. The feedback we get and what we hear as we promote your book and what you hear on the road and, and be good to talk with you about that
1: yeah thank you yeah I, I i'm curious too i'm always curious to see how you know some of the responses on that um you know one thing i mean honestly uh having talked to a couple of people who are are on the predator attack team and the large carnivore specialist and like you i'm sure both of you no one wants to kill bears no they don't all. go out to kill bears they're not hunting bears they're just responding to an incident where there's probably no other choice. Mm. Um, I mean, these guys are not gung ho. I got, it. I'm going to get bears. Have you killed kind of thing at all? Um, they would rather deal with bears in a different way, but sometimes it's just when a bear attacks a helicopter, um, <laughs> what, what, what do you do? <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: Um, you're kind of back that, against a cliff on that one. Yeah.
1: Mm. And that was, you know, the, the, the book opens up with a, and I'm not just no spoilers here. Cause it's, it's in the, all the publicity material, open a guy fly fishing in the middle of a river and, um, a bear charges out of a woods down a slope and gets him on the water. And that was one thing I, when I talked bear, the bear experts, I said, you know, is that too far fetched that a fisherman would get it like that? And he said, well, let me send you a YouTube video of a bear swimming after a drift boat on the snake river last year, trying to get it. And they're hitting it with oars. I said, okay, you Mm -hmm. know, I mean, almost anything you can conceive of has happened or, or an example of it. So as far-fetched as some of the things may sound, um, especially in this book, since there's several other things going on, as you know, that are not inconceivable, right? Very timely too.
3: It's a hundred percent authentic that it can happen. We fish the Kootenai out my front door and fly fish the Kootenai river all the time. In, in good conditions, and near a fly fisherman as well. Wayne is as well. Um, and we've had that same thing with not only the grizzlies, but the black bears. When it's berry season and they're down in early spring, we're having constant encounters with our drift boats, with our shore fishermen, and we never go unarmed. So when, without a spoiler alert, because the opening story was so gripping, especially because of who the, who the young man was, his relationship to our prota- to, to Joe and I don't want to give it all away, but what he was carrying as far as a weapon and having a weapon ready for something like that is it's an absolute, it's a, its an absolute for us. If you aren't armed on our river, when you're fly fishing, you're asking, you know, you're asking to be a drive-through snack. You're just putting yourself in that position. <laughs> mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I think you set it up beautifully and it really is heart-wrenching when you dive further into who he is, the relationship, and then it spirals from there. And it's, uh, I can honestly say living in country like that and seeing it firsthand, that is, that's as close to truth that this fiction book is, so um, there shouldn't be any naysayers there. I would hope.
1: Thank you. That I, the the scene i that that particular scene on the river is a stretch of the North Platte River that um, I I am lucky enough to fish. It's on a private ranch, and nice. I go with the rancher, and we go down there around that bend. <laughs> and after I wrote that scene, um, I sent him that first chapter, and, and, and he said. He he didn't feel like he could go fishing anymore. <laughs> <Yeah. though. laughs> I can understand that.
2: <laughs> so, I, I, so I ruined it for him. Yeah, for sure. Very timely, well, too. Um, I'm Roy Brown, who's a retired U.S. Fish and Wildlife special agent in Wyoming, so we just interviewed him for just, uh, I think, the teen, so episode 118. So just a couple back, and he, his primary job, CJ, was investigating grizzly attacks and whether they were justified or not when he was in Wyoming huh. as a special agent. So, and he's got some unnerving stories similar to what you're describing in even in bear investigations when hunters had to engage him and shoot them and and things like that. But that was his primary job in in Wyoming is bear encounters and seeing if they were justified or not. Um, and and what a call to make that that that's that's pretty tough on responsibility on a special agent to to determine that mm-hmm. and whether it's
1: justified or not. Yeah, it is that. that yeah, and that's that's uh... I've not heard of him, but that's, that's fascinating that, and mm. um, if you read the case reports of some of these um, encounters or fatalities, again, going back to the, the particular one where the elk, elk guide was killed, um, you know, what they found on the scene was, you know, a 10 millimeter Glock that was tossed mm. aside the side because the hunter didn't know how to operate it to shoot the the, the bear that was attacking the guide mm-hmm. and a can of bear spray that was completely expended on the scene. Mm-hmm. So it kind of told the story of what happened. Um, the other weird thing about that particular one, when you talk about what bears do and their normal behavior and so on, is that these two bears didn't attach the body or feed on it. They just stood over it like they were guarding it until the uh, the helicopter arrived, which is also very uncharacteristic very bear behavior. No, very very interesting. And black bears are, are
2: very similar animals and similar stuff, I think. So, and having had to dispatch, I don't even want to count how many ones I have to. Oh, that's right, Wayne. Once yeah. they break into a house, they, they know that's where the food is, so they become housebreakers. Right. We investigated one. It would look like a murder scene. In the kitchen was a 200-pound black bear, blood everywhere where he had broken in. The guy thought someone broke into his house, so he came down with his gun sure. and encountered in his face a black bear in his kitchen, in, you know, and, ah. and and emptied out a, a magazine. It was a forty five, but it, it was a murder scene. It was blood everywhere, and the poor guy was so shaken up. I mean, it was unbelievable.
0: Well, I, I can imagine. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history.
4: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
2: Yeah, so those kind of – and that's kind of what you describe is that point blank. And and we get that a lot from encounters with uh, bears is that point blank surprise
1: reaction type of events. Yeah, and I mean even if you are armed – or and have bear spray. Some of the attacks are so sudden that uh often you know th- th- there's really not much can be done. Something else and
2: I don't think this is a spoiler, but you have a lot of different bear quotes all through this new book which I <laughs> I enjoyed. I really uh, as a matter of fact uh, I, I perused them this morning just just the quotes again and I was just uh, you know so many the research on the quotes and the timeliness of them through the book and the different sources, I I really enjoyed
1: those. CJ, thank you. I I I work hard on those and sometimes have to really fight for them hmm. to get it really? to get them included in the books because um, copyright laws, um, rights of who wrote it, the family, the estate. Luckily, I was able to secure um, the rights to all of those quotes, even though they're sometimes widely. I can find them all over the internet but yeah they they still do belong to somebody but what really struck me about a lot of those quotes um is how bears are play such a huge role in the mythology not only the u.s but around the world Mm. um people ascribe a lot of attributes and uh, mythological uh, powers to bears that i I suppose i shouldn't have been surprised by but i kind of was you know whether bears are good or bad or you know, children of nature, and that shouldn't be disturbed, kind of thing. I mean, it's interesting to, to to read those quotes,
3: you know, kind of through literary history. Yeah, they were they were really spot on, Bud. And um, getting back to what you said about the uh, predator attack team guys not going out—is Gung Ho ever wanting to have? We don't ever want to have to harvest a bear or kill a bear under those circumstances. I mean, all three of us as conservationists, and hunters, on this conversation, and every game warden I know. That's the last thing you want to do, and I know from those lions I talked about that I had to deal with, that oh. was gut wrenching to see a predator cornered with no other options. Rather they're injured, rather an in urban environment, sure. rather they've attacked. That's not the way we take animals as as ethical, responsible, mm-hmm. respectful hunters. And you mentioned the bear, um, almost you know, with the myth to the bear and and everything from the standpoint of the respect historically through Native American tribes, all that. They're a very unique predator, and they're a very necessary predator, whether they're black, brown, polar, whatever the case may be. But they're they're also dangerous, like we talked about. Um, brown bear hunters that go and target brown bears, the Fognac, Kodiak Island, hunts like that, know how dangerous that can be. And that's a delicate, delicate process. And you better be respectful and prepared if you're going to go out and try to harvest a bear that big effectively, humanely, and quickly Um, there's that, there's that distinct difference. And I think, I think you really get to that in the book. And, um, it's something I've been fascinated with as a bear hunter, both a sport hunter and then having to deal with them like Wayne did in his state from the depredation public safety. And this is, this book brings up a lot of controversial, um, emotional topics. Um, and especially for non hunters that are going to read it. And I think they're going to resonate. I know, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to put it in the hands of a lot of folks that know what we do on the depredation front. Um, to, with other animals and bear control up there and uh, some Montana game wardens as well. If they're not already reading your stuff, which most of them are, Good. they they got to read this book. Um, something you mentioned too, that you, you touched on right in the beginning of the book that Joe was dealing with was the corner crossing yeah. issue on the private public land. That that's could right. not have been more spot on, but with or- all the issues Wayne and I have talked about with other guests, that's the hot topic with my friends over at Meat Eater, with Steven and Yanni. They're constantly talking about it. There's court cases going on. What brought that about? What got you there to include that in this book? Because I thought it was spot on.
1: Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I I suppose I don't need to explain it to your audience. They kind of understand it, but um, the the epicenter of that suit is less than 20 miles away from where I live. Wow. So um, you know, I know the rancher who wants to keep the public out and i know the ranch foreman who encountered the hunters who did the corner crossing and my wife was even called on the jury the original jury oh, um, but she, oh, she got the boot she got the boot <laughs> because she knew them too uh,
3: yeah and <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, so it, it's very very local issue that has now uh, you know become a huge thing across the west and you know I, i've had so many not arguments, but, um, talks with people on both sides of the issue where I live. I and I can see both sides. And I think the, you know, the only way that the dispute is going to be figured out is going to be in court at At some some level. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so there's going to be big losers on one side or the other once it's finally decided, but it's, it's so unique and, um, so unique to the mountain West, especially Mm. with the checkerboard at the public lands but it, it's a thing, you know? And so, yeah, I try to, I try to kind of keep current on that kind of stuff and mention it. It's fascinating sometimes when I, uh, on a book tour, when I, uh, especially when I go to the East where there's very little public land and there's certainly not this right. goofy checkerboard thing. Yeah. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, I, I spend as much time explaining these kind of issues in the West as I do talking about the book itself, right? Cause it's, it's foreign <laughs> and, Why should they know about it? It's weird. But, you you know, Wyoming is 50, almost 50 percent public land. So, you know, that's a big issue here. Mm.
3: And and it's interesting because it's it's just going to it's just going to grow as a problem. Right. As we have more we have more people migrating from the urban states, going to Montana, where we're at, going to Wyoming, where you're at, Idaho, finding that little spread post covid, everybody trying to, you know, just get a little bit of space. And that's creating these checkerboards in much larger spaces because it's never been a bigger issue in Montana, especially in the very remote northwest part of the state I'm in, but throughout the rest of the state and for you in Wyoming as well. And Wayne, you, you've you been dealing with it. We talked about that with the other guys from Northwoods Law. Even in the, the smaller states with your remote areas that you've got, it just seems to be growing with that urbanization. So hmm. it's going to be really interesting to see where this court case settles out. Like you said, CJ, there's going to be a big loss or a big win. But at some point there's got to be resolved because this is uh one of those new, you know, duties as a sign game wardens are dealing with in every state, and we're just dealing with it more and more, and it's becoming more and more of a challenge for sure.
1: And it, as to specifically for game wardens, I think there might have I think maybe there was legislation in the Wyoming legislature last year, but up until then, um, if a game warden was actually call, was called on the scene of a corner crossing incident, the game warden had no authority to arrest the corner crossers mm-hmm. unless they violated a, a, a law, a game and fish law. Right. Um, they, you know, game wardens aren't out there to arrest trespassers um, in Wyoming, but I think there was some kind of provision that was maybe passed where they could at least become more involved with it. But um, I, I couldn't give you the specifics on that, but that's, that's an ethical dilemma right there where if you know, the ready. rancher calls the game warden, the game warden yeah. says, I can do nothing. Um, right. right. Got to call the sheriff.
3: Hmm. Yeah, it tough situation all the way around no matter how you how you hack it so and sometimes those are good things too <laughs>
2: you know mm-hmm. it, it's kind of a hands-off thing hey I, I can't handle this so we'll, we'll we'll call the sheriff for you on that. Uh, but those things seem to get addressed with uh, legislators. when I came on New Hampshire didn't have motor vehicle powers so and I lost you know I held a guy for a trooper for a DWI for longer than the judge thought I should and this guy was stumbling down drunk. I mean, really bad. I mean, so by the time he got there, the judge thought I held him for too long and didn't have the authority to do that. So he he kicked it. Well, soon after that, all of a sudden, you know, there's legislation for us to get, you know, the authority to to handle DWIs, which, again, is a double-edged sword, you know, because that's not our focus. That's not what we like to do. But as we come across it, we can address it. So those were some of the issues that... I think legislators see and say, "Hey, we we got a law enforcement officer sworn by the state, and they don't have the mm-hmm. authority to deal with that." So, yeah, it's it's crazy. But thanks for addressing those types of things. Very nice. timely, very relevant, mm-hmm. and it, it makes it so much more interesting. I think that to, to, to put those things in, and just even the fact of the the predators coming into areas that haven't had seen predators. In years, the expansion of black bears in the East Coast, the expansion of wolves and grizzly bears and the more human wild animal interactions that we're going to experience. I think we're just starting to see what's coming in the future and how we as the modern day humans are going to start dealing with that.
1: I agree. I I did want to touch on one thing that I think when John was talking about, when we were talking about the the mythology of, of bears and how they're put in it. I think part of that um, weirdness comes from, fact, and I have a scene in the book like this, and it's something I experienced myself, was walking into an elk camp as a young boy and seeing a black bear hung from the tree, um, skinned, and just being jarred how much it looked like a human person, mm, yeah. um, a very heavily, looked like Jason Kelsey hung by his yeah. heels yeah. in that elk camp. And that, that chilled me to the core. And I think that's part of that weird... Part of the weird mythology is that um, bears, when they're skinned and hung, look like very well-muscled men, people. Mm-hmm. And I so I think that's a little different than other Predators, too. Mm-hmm.
3: It's, it's a unique, very vast difference, like you said, CJ. And um, I remember when Predator... The movie Predator dropped way back when I was a teenager, before ever becoming a game warden. And you had... The premise of that movie of these advanced alien intergalactic predators going on a trophy hunt to find the most dangerous humans. Um, and when they skin some of those green berets and how the imagery of that, I remember that burned in my head as a teenager, and then not seeing a hung bear until I was a game warden going, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. this is this, <laughs> this looks like a man that these guys just murdered. This is like a scene out of Predator. So there's mm-hmm. a whole different vibe when you're talking about bear hunting, when you're talking about bear poaching as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had the hog and dog. We had some crazy bear poaching things that happened in California as an example and how you know savage some of these bears were treated for dog training purposes. And this is not the ethical houndsmen that do it by the numbers. And there's some great guys out there. These are the dark side. That's where people resonate so much with with bears and having that sympathy is that that human connection and that appearance. And it's it's eerie. It really mm-hmm. is eerie when you look at it. But I'm I'm going back to when we talked last time on our first great conversation with you, talking about the TV series. Mm-hmm. The first season had just wrapped up. It was well-received, a hit. It was so good to see it on the big screen. Some more people got that Joe Pickett game word message. We were so happy to see that. Mm. And then season two was filmed, but it had not dropped yet. And we had talked to you about, okay, season two is going to drop. Let No spoilers. We couldn't talk about it. Um, and then we just watched season two, another fantastic season. And unfortunately, Paramount did not continue uh, with additional seasons of joe pickett series and i remember you put up a post and i think i might have commented on it on social media of hey this show should keep going Mm. can another network take it on which you know other networks like amazon have taken shows were amazing and all of a sudden they blew them up to three four more seasons so um how's that going and what are your thoughts are on that i mean it's hopefully we see it come back at least we got two seasons of what i consider i i think the only scripted game warden series that's ever been out. So, uh, yeah. hey, that's that's a win if we never get anything back, but it would be nice to see it come back and just curious where you're at on that as an executive producer cuz you had a big part of that show besides just putting the uh the literary content.
1: Well, uh, actually I didn't do that much. Um as an executive producer you don't do much other than cast the check. That's about it. <laughs> that's but a good uh I, you know to have, <laughs> Provide the so sort- Provide the source material and cash the check, but no, um, it, it's it's kind of complicated. The show was popular; um, it yes. was one of the highest rated. Uh, it was the third highest rated drama on Paramount Plus. But the problem was, I, I didn't know this till later. They didn't own the show. It was actually commissioned by Charter Spectrum okay. for their you know cable people uh subscribers and then they then charter got rid of their originals department so paramount plus had the rights to do the streaming rights but not the show itself so it got complicated in the ownership of it Hmm. um the the real producers are attempting to um shop it to other other streamers right now Um, they said after the first of the year they would start approaching them I hope they do, uh, of course. I know that what their plans are for the season three, and they're really good, and I think they've done a really, a really good job with the, so, the first two seasons, so yeah, you know, yeah. fingers crossed, but it wasn't a viewership thing. It was an ownership thing, and, mm. and uh, entertainment is so stinking complicated as a business on who owns what and, and, and so on, and that was the problem. Yeah, very yeah, similar yeah, to yeah. the Northwoods
2: Law and the Wild Justice, all those programs we had bet. Ben Shank, who was a producer on those shows and basically said, you know, television he is does. changing, you know, streaming is taking over and these shows are going by the wayside again, not a viewership issue, but an ownership issue as in they're changing gears. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Very so, interesting. You know, like I said, fingers crossed. Um, it may, I, I don't know when, at what point we say, okay, we tried, it's not good. It's not going to be out again. But it—they just now started to shop it around.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and one of the cool things is that writer strike and the and the Screen Actors Guild strike went on for what ten months, and everything was at a standstill with projects we're working on down there. And now the floodgates have opened in the last two months, give or take. And these streamers are looking for content, so hope mm-hmm. um, that's a little you know shot of adrenaline to say, hey man, look back at this Joe Pickett series. We have a a, a crew ready to go. Um, cause it'll, it'll be immensely popular and it needs to keep going. So we're pulling, we're crossing fingers. 100%. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's another way to tell the game warden story. And we
2: are so appreciative that you're doing that in, in book form, uh, for show, for sure, CJ, it's just, uh, yeah, it needs to get out there. We need to reach different people. And it has to be a constant message of what conservation is and to, to reach those people. You know, we, we we were honored to have Mustafa Speaks on here for oh, sure. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was very cool. You know, John was able to line him up and we had him on the show. And what
1: an inspiring individual he was. Uh, I yeah. agree. Yeah. I got to spend time with him on the set. And, um, man, he impressed the heck out of me. Hmm. Uh, and he was just, it, it was so fun, too, because he had just, they had just shot the scenes where, he, as a falconer, Nate Romanowski, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, had, had gathered up the ducks and then a drift boat comes by and he has a big gunfight with them. And he, yeah. he loved that stuff. You
3: know, I, <laughs> I could see that. Who wouldn't? Yeah. yeah it, it, you know, and something Mustafa said that just came across in that character. And, and I think from the TV series, if you haven't read one of your novels and you're watching Joe Pickett, the series, Cold Nate, next to Joe, I think is the most complex, eccentric, and interesting character mm-hmm. because of his background, his special forces thing, I mean, the Falconer thing, and then he's on the run, but he's he's Joe's only real ally, and they're completely you know polar opposites in a way of what, what their paths are. And Mustafa conveyed to us, and it was a fantastic conversation, where he said, you know, that character just resonated with me as, as a man, mm-hmm. you know? And even though, and his, his background in marine biology and the work he had done with sharks, I didn't know anything about him other as an actor until we got to know right. him. Right. So he, he too is like, yeah, let's get this back, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, yep, I agree. Of, I think that was one of his most, if not most enjoyable characters he's played. He's played a lot of cool characters on other shows, but that one hits him as a conservationist. So mm. let, let's get this thing back on track, right? Mm hmm. I
2: agree. Yeah. No, no, very cool. And certainly we look forward to maybe having some other uh, actors on our podcast talking about that as well. So. Uh, maybe down the road we can line something up, but, uh, certainly he would said he would come back and talk to us too. So, um, uh, yeah, Mustafa speak was very inspirational and yeah, just an inspirational guy. I, I really enjoyed the sitting down and talk with him. So and it's good to see that type of person as an actor, you know, and see the backstory yep, and, and get to know them a little, like you just said on the set, getting to know him. That's, that's a pretty awesome place. So very cool. Anything else we want to throw in there, CJ? I mean, we've we've hit on a ton of topics
1: uh, all the way across conservation. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I am. I never set out to say... It's, I, I joke sometimes when I'm doing talks and say, you know, I knew the world was always waiting for a Wyoming Game Warden uh, mystery series, and I'm the only guy who could do it. That's <laughs> not true at all. Um, I, I'm still... I'm still always amazed how well the books do and how they're received. Yeah. Um, the last uh, Stormwatch, the book that came out last year, was the first one of mine um, to be number one across the board. First nice. n- number one in uh, best uh, fiction and um, ebook and fiction, wow. and it hung in there for like six weeks. So um, they resonate with a lot, a lot of people who aren't outdoors people at all. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. And across the entire U.S. and uh, around the world. And that, that always just surprises me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got great hopes for this new one because I think, like we were talking about, bears have a certain connection to people that um, they might pick it up. So the, w- we'll see, but I've, I've mm-hmm. got high hopes. Yeah, we've talked about it before. The family atmosphere
2: that you draw is a really a reality within the Game Warden of family net. You know, I mean, we are all, my, my wife answers calls. Mm-hmm. You know, our kids, uh, they could be playing with a, a a fawn that we brought home for the night or something before it gets to somewhere else. You you really inspire that, and we talked about a lot of women reading you, and I think it has that family net, the wildlife interaction, the, the stories that we, we don't see so much. You know, Westerns were a huge, huge hit, you know, and it brings that... Yeah, that 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 feeling back of the of the whole American dream, so to speak. Whether it's from you know kicking the going out on the prairie, uh, and, and it inspires me too, just uh, to see the things and the intricacies that I pick up that you you pick up from other game wardens. There's no no doubt that you have some uh, somebody helping you out with the, the technical stuff because I'm like, well, that's funny that he you know you do that on the radio and. They cover that up because of the lights at night and, and, and things that, you know, mm-hmm. we do as game wardens that maybe people read over, but I, I see those little technical things that you, you put in your books that game wardens do. So it's it's really cool, and I can see why it is number one for sure, and I, I got to believe this is going to be number one. But you know what worries me is, um, you know, I, me and John are really similar age, uh, 54, and Joe's getting up there. He's
3: 51 at this That's point, right? right? Uh, he's starting to feel his wares a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's right. What, <laughs> yeah. When he climbs off a horse, he hurts. Mm. You know, <laughs> <you know. laughs> saddle sore and half the
1: ride. Distance. I could relate. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But it's, it, you know, it's been fun and challenging to, in, in fact, age the characters in real time throughout the mm. entire series. Mm. I mean, I'm working right now on book number 25. Wow. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> you know... It, every you know everybody's generally not every book is a year past the last one some are adjoining it this one is butted right up against um uh three inch teeth starts Mm -hmm. almost immediately afterwards but um you know to age age the characters and um try to be realistic about that and people's the kids have grown up and gone on different lives and Joe and Mary Beth are empty nesters once again. Although mm-hmm. not necessarily, I won't tell oh you. Yeah, I don't want
3: It
1: is so uh, that that's fun to do is to de- develop their characters, you know, as they age.
3: Mm-hmm. No, it's nice. Uh, to one see. thing I want to um, pony on what Wayne just said is um, the technical accuracy in your books when it comes to representing tactics, equipment, and just solid game warden tactics. And this gets into first responder military. It kind of transcends in that and something in my own writing I'm I'm very careful to do. And what I really admire in authors like yourself, rather than nonfiction fiction and screenwriters, especially like a Taylor Sheridan who gets it right tactically or through rather whatever venue, whatever medium is. So we're represented in the most professional light that game wardens can be for the job they do or any first responder. And when you talked about that shotgun being prepared with buckshot slug, mm, shot yes, slug. Yes. That is the mainstay <laughs> way we go into bear country, either as enforcement to take mm-hmm. out a problem bear or when we're going when I'm hiking into a high lake for cutthroat. Some days I have to take that shotgun because it's so potentially full of bears. Mm-hmm. And my locals will say, Oh, you're going up there? Don't just take that handgun, man. You better no. lug that big shotgun. Like, ah, oh, things so heavy. I got a mm-hmm. my flight gear. You know, but that was that was just great to see. And that' It lends something to your audience to see how formidable this predator is. And the fact that so many non-hunters are enjoying your books is absolutely kudos for that. Because Mm. I don't think there's any better way to get the balanced conservation message out Mm. and show that sometimes we have to do violent things and kill animals, unfortunately, for the sake of the balance of species in general and just for public safety and to keep everything in this delicate balance as we grow in population as humans. Um, and you really put that out. And, and the, the TV series did that too. So the more we can spread your books, man, I hope they're number one in every category on three inch teeth, because that one gets into conservation so specifically. And when is the book going to be available? What formats? What's the the launch? How can people get it? So all our listeners can be ready to jump on this thing.
1: February twenty seventh is the p- official publication date. Awesome! Um, it'll be available in every format, you know, hardcover, audio, um, ebook, everything. Um, so you know, they, it can be pre pre ordered now, which I of course we always encourage. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I, I'm, you know, as usual, this this going on a book tour uh, immediately with that, and so I'm um, not going to the east. Coast this time at all, but um, a lot of uh, venues in the West and West Coast. So um, people can look at my website, which is cjbox.net. It lists all the uh, appearances and um, also can order the book on there.
3: Awesome. Awesome. We're looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Um, see you on the book tour. Great.
2: Thank you um, for joining us, CJ. New York Times bestseller. Uh, author, C.J. Box, the Joe Pickett series, all new book, Three Inch Teeth. And I guess I want to just wrap up with one of those quotes uh, out of your book because I I just, I I really enjoyed those. So, And it's uh, from Edward Abbey. Are people more important than the grizzly bear? Only from the point of view of some people. Read this book and and you'll understand. Thanks again, C.J., for joining us.
1: Thanks so much, man. Thank you. This is always fun. Yeah. Great, great conversation. We appreciate it. It's even light out right now. I can
3: see that side. So that's good. Awesome.
2: Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with cultures, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this
0: is Warden's Watch. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.